The Space God Memoirs. Episode 20 As another day was ending, we finally arrived at the terminus of the seemingly endless Sea of Dunes. There the land quickly flattened out. The sand below was replaced by patches of blackened glass-like substance, sharp and hard to the touch, which grew more frequent to the north until it replaced the sand altogether. Up ahead, the fading sunlight illuminated nothing but blackness ending at distant mountains as dark as the night. Here our party made camp, setting up the tents at the edge of those dead lands. I looked northward for a moment, at the unpleasantness ahead of us. That would be the worst leg of our journey, to be sure. Dry, pitiless travel, with nothing cheery in sight. And after that we get right to Balnar. What awaited us up there? I was determined to find out more. So that evening I went straight to the royal tent, seeing the flicker of lights from within. I called out at the entry. Moments later it opened up and I saw Bakibra within, arms folded across her chest. Behind her, Prince Ophiro sat upon a cot. Rayleigh was still outside by the campfire, under Sir Jettis' watch. Sorry, folks, I said, giving them both a glance. But we're getting close to our goal. Bakibra nodded. Basically, I gotta know exactly what I'm guiding y'all into, secrecy or no. Otherwise, it just may turn into a death trap for all concerned. Understood? The knight gave me a once-over, but did not open her mouth. She looked to her prince. Ophiro stood up, turning to fully face me. His nearly white eyes met mine. Oh, come now, guide, he said. I know that you too saw the vision of our great Lord Gervath proclaiming that a time of trials is here. When you finally broke through the veil in your vessel, the Vare knew that the time was right. Right for what? For the Ascension. Recovering that long-lost technology was a sign to them. A sign that we are ready to be tested once more. You see, my father and I met with a messenger of the gods a fortnight ago. She told us to assemble our greatest heroes the most worthy among us. We are to head to the place of testing, a great tower built upon the ruin of Balnar. There, the gods shall separate the worthy from the inferior. So this bunch here was the best of Ganadria? I asked. Since I was a child, I have known that this moment was my destiny, said the prince. The Binadar witches told me so seeing my inherent power when I was only a lad. I shall soon walk among the gods, in the lands beyond Arubis, I and all others who are worthy. Bakibra is my companion and my guardian. These others are the finest warriors in all of Ganadria. Yeah, I snorted. All the greatest murderers, thieves, and maniacs in the land. 
The Kibra balled her gauntleted right hand into a fist and looked at me with quite a sour expression, but said nothing. The prince let out a sigh. How about Jubbo and Gubbo? I asked. Are they the greatest, most super-duper bag carriers in the world? They were essential for arriving at our destination, said Pekibra. But how about after? Are they expected to take this test too? How about me, Rayleigh? I can assure you, Mr. Keff, said the knight captain, that you have been quite the asset on our journey. Like I said, you will be well rewarded for your time here and the sacrifices you have made. Yeah, I replied. That's just it, the sacrifices. Big people like you two love talking about sacrifices. Thing is, it's almost always us little people making them. Like my buddy Burge. He never asked to give his life for the kingdom or for your shitty quest. It was kind of decided for him, just like it's being decided for us. Yeah, I could walk away. But you noble knights promised me that another good friend will die if I don't see this thing through to the end. And I'm left wondering, when will the sacrifices stop? When we get to this tower? When you chosen few finally pass the gods' trials and transcend your mortal coils? You know, I've seen a few of the contests these evolved ones do. They're bloody. I wouldn't be too surprised if one of those trials in the tower requires you to sacrifice me too. Sounds on theme, I'd say. So how about it? I said, turning to Ophiro, who stood glaring at me. What's it gonna be? You are here to serve, the prince said softly. And so you shall. I will do with you and the others whatever is in my right to do. With fairness and within the law. Serve me, and you will be well rewarded. But know this, guide. Get in the way of my destiny, my birthright, and you will be crushed. You will be treated as you deserve, either as a loyal and true subject, or as vermin. He calmly folded his hands over his waist. Sorry, man, I said, taking a step into the tent. That is the biggest load of Rusha shit I've ever heard. Whatever your birthright is. Again, I could be a real idiot back then. He did not say another word. Under Ophiro's gaze, it felt like I weighed a hundred pounds heavier. Like there was some huge pressure over me, pushing down. I tried moving away, but I couldn't. Just that weight, that heaviness, growing larger by the second until I felt I could just about collapse from it all. I couldn't breathe, couldn't move my arms or legs. Then he threw his delicate head back, and I felt myself flying out of the tent, straight through the open flap and out onto the rocks below, gasping for breath as my body crashed back first onto the hard ground. I stood to my feet minutes later, bruised in both body and ego, but it didn't seem like anything was broken. I looked back to the tent to see Bakibra standing there. We locked eyes for an instant. I saw something there. Was it pity? Remorse? Whatever, I told myself as I walked out of sight. I didn't need anything from either of those jerks, or any of the other assholes here. I just sat out on a rock and stared off at the dead landscape for what seemed like hours. I seriously considered just leaving then. 
just walking the scrag out of there. There was no chance any of those yugs would find me. I could just leave. But as you know, those scraggers had my near sister, and I was pretty sure they'd follow through on their promise to kill her should I ditch them. Well, at that moment, I was just about angry enough to do it anyway, feeling the bruises all over my body, the rage boiling inside like a tea in a kettle ready to erupt. They could kill her, I told myself. Then I would slowly and methodically take revenge on every one of them in the most violent way possible. Uh, yeah. That mood lasted all of ten minutes, soon dissipating like most moods did with me. All I did was look up at their lousy tent and gave it the most obscene gesture I could think of. The mountains of the north were jagged, black, spiky things. They jutted up out of the ground at irregular angles, like the spiny back of some deformed reptile of enormous size that had laid down to die eons ago. They looked so close now, but between us and them were the black lands, extending out from the mountains and going out for miles into the surrounding deserts was a ring of deadness. The ground was a glassy obsidian, looking to have been hardened suddenly by some ancient conflagration. We marched through that empty land, seeing its unchanging features spreading all around us. I was sure in my mind that this had once been some other landscape, more pure and natural, before the retribution melted it all into this glassy waste. As the days progressed, the lands grew rougher and rougher, the sheets of obsidian so tightly pressed together that they thrust upward, forming jagged, tooth-like protrusions. At first only isolated and small, but soon they jutted out at the height of a man or a woman, then began forming into small hills, clustered together or in rows. The sky above was a faint gray, tinged with black. The color leached out of it to mirror the ground the sun hidden behind a blanket of clouds. We walked in twilight, and I suppose it was a good ambience for this bleak locale, bereft of true light, deprived of colorful things and cheery people as it was. Our first night upon the obsidian plain was a bleak one, cold, silent, and devoid of light. I spent half the night shivering in my bedroll, wishing I had a warm body to cozy up against. I thought of Rayleigh and how she must feel the same. Though as before, those armored scraggers stood between us. Our second day of travel through the Black Lands was mostly indiscernible from the first. More marching across spiny glass had tore away at my boots and poked at my feet. That night we also camped in darkness. However, as I took my watch, I glimpsed a light in the sky above. A large object glowing with an inner luminescence. At first I guessed it might be a creature... Something with two wings and a vaguely avian shape. It glided across the skies, heading north, towards the mountains, which were our goal. As it drew closer, I knew it was no creature, but something like those ships I'd seen over Ganadria. I watched in wonder as the thing coasted silently across the air, its hull shimmering in patterns of shifting colors, its design elegant and simple like a work of art. Another object flashed into view, smaller than the winged one, but equally radiant, like a many-sided top that gave off a silvery light as it spun upward from the ground. The strange spinning ship rose to the level of the bigger winged one, 
and suddenly there was a blast of equally silver light shooting from the top-like ship. It struck the winged vessel, and I heard a distant crackling noise. The larger ship attempted to turn, most likely trying to face its attacker, but the little silver diamond was too much for it, zipping from side to side as it easily outmaneuvered its bird-like opponent, blasting it periodically with beams of light. The winged ship got off a few more volleys of its own, but it was never able to make impact, the gem-like craft never giving it a clear shot. Not a minute after it began, the heavenly battle ended, the final blast. The larger ship going dark and sinking out of view behind a spiny mountain. The smaller one darted away, once more casting our camp into blackness. I could tell that the encounter had woken a few of the others. But nobody was talking. Probably just as dumbfounded as I was. Another fight among the gods? Whatever it was, it reminded me of what I'd seen with Burge and Rayleigh, down in the southern lands, just before we had met Z. I half expected to see my mysterious blue friend standing aloof at the edge of the camp, giving me a knowing half-smile. But of course, I saw only darkness. The next morning, we came to the mountains. Close up, they looked similar to the tooth-like protrusions we had passed earlier, only bigger. I had seen a handful of pre-ret maps during my journeys. Never had they depicted mountains here, in front of the capital. I guessed that these were no normal mountains at all. But it suddenly formed as the retribution occurred, some chthonic force having thrust them to the surface. As we got closer, the mountains seemed even steeper, more tightly bunched together and just about impossible to climb without heavy use of ropes. Do we have to climb that? moaned Sir Alien. Nope, I answered. Follow me. However much I resented it, I had been chosen for this mission for a reason. I actually knew how to get to Belnar. I remembered my previous trek up here well enough. Back then, I too had groaned when I reached these seemingly impassable mountains, and I had actually spent the better part of a day less than a mile from where we stood, lamenting that fact as I considered turning back. That is, until I managed to spot thin, zigzagging trail that led up and through them, its entry point marked by a stone cairn with Vulda markings upon it. This time, it only took me a few minutes to find the old trail, which Ven had originally told me of. I spotted the pile of rocks again, marking the spot where the narrow footpath began leading up through the spiny mountains in a Z pattern. Well, I told myself, too late to head back. Also, I was pretty sure we didn't have the food or water for a return journey. I pointed the way to everyone and began leading. Up and up we went, our progress painfully slow as I led the way up the footpath, narrow and tedious to walk. Each step had our feet crunching down into crumbly black rocks that were both tiring to the feet and a bit unsteady. After the first hour of walking, my already sore legs were absolutely burning. After the second hour, that burning had smoldered into a steady throb, though I figured my feet would just give way soon enough. Then I saw it. Two large spires of rugged black stone. The path led right between them near the height of the ridge we were climbing. I hurried my pace and motioned for the others to do the same. Just past there, and we would be at our goal. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. 
Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoyed the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.